they talked about, this was off the back of, they had just done a brand transformation repositioning. Mm. And they were like, it's difficult. It's easy for you, Andre, as a disruptor to go, I'm not coming from anywhere. I have no history with this brand. We're going to come in and stand for something new. Mm. Difficult if you've got customers Mm -hmm. that like you for something to make a decision. And they were like, we had to get, and I learned a lot from this. They were like, we had to, we couldn't come up with something new. We had to come up with something true, but different. But so we had to go to our DNA. So we went back to the story. Well, what is it our DNA? Well, we made, we invented the fucking motor car, right? Like <laughs> um, Karl-Heinz Benz yeah, yeah, yeah. invented the motor car. That's as disruptive and innovative as you can get mm. in history. People talk mm. about Henry Ford. He didn't make the motor car. Yeah. He just figured out how to mass produce it cheaply. We invented the motor car. Jesus, yeah. we went from horses to cars. Like, come on. Real People is produced by Squareholes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Squareholes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Andre Eichmeyer. Andre and I softened into the couches upstairs at Square Holes HQ and pontificated about all things belonging, business for good and growing tribes and why some businesses do bad, often when they forget where it all began and the goodness in their DNA. Andre is founder of Cult Tribal, an agency he recently launched to help brands unite tribes. Go to culttribal.com for more. This is a wonderful discussion going way back to Andre's childhood of feeling uncomfortably different and how his entrepreneurial journey, including co-founding and leading successful wine tribe Vino Mofo, inspired an epiphany at 2am a couple of years ago to guide his next exciting phase. We go deep into what it takes to find your personal and business purpose and why some businesses go bad, even with the best intentions, yet it is never too late to choose to be good. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Thank you, Andre, for, for joining us today. Uh, I'm going to start off where I start all of these interviews, or all but the first couple, of what were you like as a young boy? Let's let's kind of pick an age. What, what, about, what were you like at age eight? Ah, Let's go right back in the time high. machine. Yeah. All right. I remember being confused a lot. Um, I think that I had a lot of questions. I was, um, I was not, um, not shy, but in my head a lot and kept, you know, I was, I remember fiercely feeling like, like, you know, exuberant running around school and stuff, but not really feeling like I kind of fit in with everybody yeah, else. Mm-hmm. And and yet sort of ashamed of the things I didn't know, so afraid to ask the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that got shut Where down. Where did that come from? Did that come from, did you move around down. a lot or did you kind of just, it was just in you of no, I think questioning I got, yourself a lot or? Yeah, I think I got shut down early by 
parents for asking questions. Yeah. And that sort of created that shame. But I think I just wanted to know stuff. Yeah, yeah, wanted yeah. to know everything. And I think I felt like, I'm sure a lot of humans feel this way. I think I felt like the way I thought wasn't really the way that other kids at school seem to yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Not in everything. Yeah, like, no, that's you know, interesting. Run around, play kiss and cat. So eight years of age, that's what, third grade. So questioning yourself and life and... Yeah, and where you sat within like it. And, just wondering yeah. where, you know, I'm sure we all, but thinking like I'm the only one having these thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Not great thoughts. I mean, like, you know, weird and introspective like, thoughts. Like and dark to a certain, for a, yeah. from a childlike darkness, yeah. Altogether. Yeah. So that's probably the predominant yeah, yeah. feeling I had. Um, but it was that kind of things about kind of where do I fit in the universe or those kids seem different to me. Is yeah, that, yeah, very much. Yeah, and I wasn't—I was bullied later in life in high school. Horror, I hated it, um, but not in primary school. Yeah. So it didn't come from. Any so you'd have a good circle of friends, but you were—you were kind yeah. of going. I don't. I feel a bit different to them. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if that's because we've had a couple of people that have been either from a different background or just and they're kind of. I, we had one, I, and, and it's funny sometimes you get these adults that you kind of talk to them and they go. I felt different. I felt like out of out of out of sync, and it's, it's that. It's, I think it's maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just questioning oneself, or is it is it curiosity? Do you think you can't? Were you, were you were you was it curious or was it insecurity? Do you think? No, it was more curiosity driven, yeah. um, and I th- I think it was not. I don't think I've ever fit well in packs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I don't. This is not glorifying yeah, no. the entrepreneur like bullshit i think i just yeah i think that's how yeah as a kid yeah and no, that's good were you academic were you yeah well, do you have subjects you loved or not love so much no i was i was i was bright like, i was sort of ducks school so i was From early age you could you detect yeah. that you were kind of you liked school would you say you would you liked the academic bit of school yeah i remember year three yeah and I had a teacher that I had a crush on, <laughs> Miss Donnelly, and um, I hadn't thought about her. Uh, and that, and I think that was the year I really applied myself, yeah. and that was the year I realised that okay, I'm quite quite bright. Yeah, I can do yeah. this school stuff, but still didn't, you know. And I think that boxed me into yeah, you know, something that later in high school, I went to high school that didn't really celebrate yeah. achievement. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that sort of. Yeah. Box me into. Do you think it was okay at your time at, say, primary school to be smart? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think everyone was like, yeah, cool, but yeah. it's more important things to get on with. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, so you said sort of the primary school. And we found that a few times. And, again, and we do a lot of education research from early childhood to primary school, high school, and then uni, and do a whole lot of other work as well. And I guess it's where, that, where education fits in people's lives. And sometimes actually people, we have these, we have an AI um, professor, Dr. Dr. Alvelda from Washington, and he said he was a, a funny Argentinian kid that hated school. <laughs> and you go, oh, there we go. And, and it sort of turns out all right. Or um, Steve Sammartino talked about um, loved primary school, high school was pretty shit, <laughs> and then got back to like liking learning in, in uni. What, so what was the contrast between primary school and high school for you? I think it was just the rate. I was young for my year, yeah, and I, and immature for my age, even at my age. So I think, um, I think everybody just, I don't know, I've got a theory, right? I think that the people, because I get shocked when people say I really loved school. Mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I, I think it ends up being those who really 
I guess it's a form of extroversion or introversion. Those that really are lifted by groups of people and, you know, get, mm. get energized by being in groups of people seem to have enjoyed school more mm. and those that don't mm. seem to have not. Yeah, but I okay. also have a theory. I just reckon also there are – I'm starting to see or, or suspect that the world mostly um, – Everybody is walking around feeling like that. Yeah, that's right. I'm just exactly. afraid no, to get exactly caught right. out, right? And I think um, I'm starting to try and give people permission. Yeah. <laughs> this is jumping a bit, you know, um, philosophical, but it sort of fits with that. So I that's suspect right. that looking back to that, there were a bunch of people who just didn't think very deeply in primary school. Yeah. And But by the time you're in high school, I think everybody does. Yeah. Deep enough for it's them. It's got serious and shit's And I think real, there yeah. are a bunch of people that then um, – Mask that by posturing mm. and other people that voice their difference or mm. live it and therefore get ostracised. I think that's what, whereas I don't think that happens as much in primary school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But funny enough, I've got my kids are 13 and 11. My son's um, <clears throat> year seven and he only experienced a bit of bullying later. But, but there seems to be much more of a celebration of difference. I don't know Do you think? Yeah, changing. okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and yeah, it's not. But it's, it is. An, I guess kind of maybe the indirect kind of where I've been kind of fascinated about the discussions we've had with with successful people in quotation marks <laughs> is that, and even to say if there were, if, if that happens to be, I'm sure there's not. But if there were some ra- young people listening, you go, if you're finding schools kind of sucking and it's not perfect, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> It'll still turn out fine. And we put so much pressure on you've got to smash your school otherwise. Whoa, you're going to end up sort of, but you can, you might feel out of sorts. You might feel like you haven't found your spot in life and it'll still turn out okay. And it's also I, deeply flawed. Like, the, yeah. It's one of those systems that was created appropriate to a time and just hasn't changed mm. aggressively enough as the world has. Um, you know, just not learning the right things in school yeah. to cope as humans or to, or to, to be armed yeah. with the smarts and skills for a modern work life and modern careers. Yeah. I just think it's madness. And I don't subscribe to a few people. I was talking to someone the other day just going, it's stupid. Why do we still put so much effort into spelling? And I disagree. I think it's vital that mm-hmm. we keep up yeah. those basic communication yeah, skills. Yeah, that's right. But um, even though your phone can do it, I yeah. just think we've got to be able to write and spell. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... That's got to change. God, don't we have to just learn how to be humans together yeah. at school? What does that mean? What, what does it mean to be humans at, at that school age? So if you're, we've Do got you know a, what I think yeah. it is? I think it's difference has to be celebrated and curiosity around learning about differences mm. has to be become natural. It has to be just an expectation. Yeah. Um, that it has to be natural that that what one does when encountered with a difference, oh, that's interesting. Ask about it. I think that has to be taught, yeah, yeah. and not just taught as a lesson, but lived. Yeah. You know, like like celebrated in the classroom. And I think if we do that, yeah. then um, then it just is a chance to break that fear that yeah. kicks in. Yeah. Around differences, because mm. at the heart of everything. And I think oh, that's I, different. I better be afraid. It's different to me. Yeah, I don't understand right. it. It must be bad. And maybe that di- said it's bad. Yeah, yeah, okay. When, when did you sort of start? Whether it sort of ended up being the thing you wanted to do. When did you start going? I want to do that, whether study wise or 
or work-wise? When did you sort of start going, that sounds like a thing I want to do? Or was it you quite know, random until you? Two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, so I had, um, I had this – I woke up at like two in the morning. It was a time when I was really disenfranchised about my role as a CEO in Vino Mofo. And I was just – feeling like I wasn't able to do anything by instinct and mm. I was like compromising and I just woke up going, nah, I'm going to quit. I woke up what sort of time? Tell me it was like two in the morning. Two in the morning, so yeah. I, yeah. Not, I didn't even wake up. I could be- barely slept, but I just think I just was probably had a nightmare, you know, <laughs> and um, about it. And, and I remember just going, I, I have, it's not for me anymore. Mm. I have to quit. Um, and then I, I, I spent a few hours dreaming up a new startup and I think what really excited me was this vision of, without even having an idea, this vision of having four or five people and actually being really mm. plugged in. I remember feeling like kind of like the Matrix. Like I was really plugged into everything and every decision and not from a control perspective but from a that's how I like to operate. And I think I was being told and putting an expectation on myself that you can't run a 120-man company like that. Mm. You have to then shift your thinking to be motivating mm. and empowering other people. I think that didn't sit well with me, as yeah, yeah. shit as that sounds, but like instinctively, and I think I was – that's the way I was feeling. So I got up and I started writing a new vision and the way I needed to work. Because um, I went from being, this is what I need to do, and you start, then I was like, no, I don't. I just need to do Vino Mofa the way – I need to redo it instinctively. So I remember writing a vision out. And then I was like, ah, shit, I have to, why have I never done this for myself? Why have I never done this? So even if you went back to you at sort of mid, late high school, you weren't, you didn't have any sort of thoughts on what I want to do when I'm I'm an adult? Nothing more sophisticated than I want to do something. That you want to. You want to do something great. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't really. What, what is great? Like great meaning? You want to create something? You want yeah, yeah, yeah. to make a mark or make it build a successful company? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know? So um, it was sort of that entrepreneur was in your head at that age of creating something. Yeah, at a young it was. Age. And whatever that. But what that, but what that meant became and, a bunch of things. Yeah. But um, but this was the first time I really connected with purpose and started thinking about this yeah. concept of difference and inclusion and yeah. stuff. And, and I think um, so anyway, I, I decided that I. I I just had to change the way I worked at Vinomofo. And then I and then I also was like, I need to do this for my own life. I've never sat down mm. and actually made a life plan. So I made a vision for my own life. And I wrote 12, I just called it a recipe. And I wrote 12 things that would make me happy. And then um and then not long after that I sat down and tried to articulate my own sense of purpose and why I was on the planet. And it was sort of around that was when I sort of thought, all right, all these things I you know, from never having really felt like I belong was really like I want to change that. And I, I think it was an understanding of, you know, it came from rather than spending my whole life going, fuck you, world, I'm different, I'm not like you, mm. it turned into well, maybe we all feel that way and mm-hmm. maybe that's something yeah. that I maybe that's I have the insight. insight into that, that, that's, that's the insight. Is, is and the, maybe yeah. I need to try and uh, understand myself. Mm-hmm. People that I think are bigoted or you know mean or whatever. But, um, but does that mean? Do, do you? Do you? Um, I kind of must whether it's a almost going through a video game. You need to go. You need to go through it through stages of your life to have that realization. So you need to go through the shit to get to that epiphany moment. Yeah, if you didn't well, go through the shit, you kind of go. 
everything's kind of utopian and perfect. But if you go through moments of questioning or complexity, is that, sure. is that kind of where it comes from? Or? For sure. It came from that. But also I think I realised through that exploration and over in very recent years, I think I started to see how much I had done exactly the same thing but in a different way, boxed myself into a defensive corner and sort of wrote off 99% of the masses, you know, and chose to just find those aligned, enlightened, in my mm. opinion, people and, yeah. and built a world around that, which was fulfilling and inspiring for me. And, and you know, I was very much um, giving and, 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 and inclusive, but in my little box world. Mm. Now, just because I think my little world was a bit more enlightened and a bit more intelligent and a bit more open-minded than others, it's the same shit, right? And so I was doing the same thing. So I think the most challenging thing for me is and has been shifting from that and going, no, hang on, why don't you try and have the courage to look at the person that, and what do you admit that that person actually frightens you? Mm. You know, that crack addict walking down Smith Street in Fitzroy, you know, mm. um, frightens you on yep. some level. You don't feel frightened, physically threatened because you're a large-ish man now, mm. but it frightens you and it triggers the same shit as the things that triggered you when you were four mm -hmm. and six and you were getting, yep. you know. So so that's been interesting to sort of think about and think, well, how do we stop that? Mm. How do we – I found that interesting and I think so that's that, probably the glue that links back my life. Yeah. So in terms of that kind of just – Epiphany moment of going, who am, who am, who am I, and what, what do I want? Is that, is yeah. that right? Is that, yeah, yeah, is that, and and do I dare, or questioning? Is it me that's made myself not belong? Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe that, maybe it's time to belong. Yeah, to yeah. a bigger world. And and, and I, it was interesting. We interviewed Peter Joy, who's a, um, a, a marketing or advertising guru. He's sort of um, in in Adelaide and a very smart guy, part of Brand SA and. And he kind of made a comment. He sort of um, Peter's. I don't think Peter would mind saying, but sort of in his sixties, and he said, "Oh, I wish I was sort of starting out now in my twenties. All these ideas that are there." And I kind of thought about it afterwards. I thought, could you have had the same epiphanies early on without the wisdom you've got? Like, even, like if you kind of put that back to you, are going, do you have to go again, go through those experiences? Could you have this? Is it? Is the epiphany now because you've gone through all of the sort of the experiences of Vino and and the likes, or is it just everything's come together to go, yes, now I've kind of had more of a, a utopian moment where you found that kind of answer. Do you know what I mean? Could you... Yeah, I think is it me, Is it feeling deflated that you didn't find the answer sooner or is it going you had to go through all of that to find the answer? No, because I think it's the answer for now in yeah. my life. Yeah. And I think most of my, I think 20 to 25 years of adulthood before now was so consumed with making something or being something like, 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 like an achievement, like, like you don't fail at this, build something, make something of your life. Um, there wasn't the priority or didn't make the time to sit down and do some real self-awareness mm -hmm. searching of, so I think I had to, in some ways, as gross as it sounds, tick a bit of a box mm. to get that off my shoulder. Like, Just so you, okay, so you could do that. You've done you it, you've built yep. something. Yep. That's what you always wanted to do. You've built it. To see that it was great, mm -hmm. but it's not everything, and you got some figuring out of you to do, and maybe it's time to figure out who you are in your place in the world now. 
not, and my place in the world's not, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That's not a yeah, place yeah, in the world. Yeah, that's right. your own journey yeah. and creation. Sure, you create something that hopefully the world is slightly better off for yeah. having and we all want to do that, but that's not. That's so now you've achieved the, the tick the box of the I've created something great and it's going now, now but there's something different you want to well, create. It's interesting. Yeah. Probably another, so I, I don't know if you're aware, but like, for the last, like two months ago, I left Venomofo. Yeah. I'm not, not CEO anymore. Um, and that's been profound. Yeah. And what's been profound in, in diving into this, uh, a new venture has been my instantly and instinctively, and not out of any sort of noble soul searching, instinctively, the new definition of success or the new goal for what I wanted to build had no. It was nothing to do with scale. So, you know, Fino Mofo, 120 people, $100 million company. I didn't had no instinct to, to, to create a 200 mm-hmm. man, $200 million company. Yep. Just didn't factor in. It was all about um, sort of purity of work and connectedness of work with me. So it was like, I just want a small, really elite thinking, aligned mm. thinking and valued team. And it all instantly became about impact of work. I want to do good work. Like yeah. what would be really exciting things to change or transform or impact? And that was like, and not, not out of, that wasn't any sort of like grand and noble plan. That was like so instinctive. So I think, again, that's related to, I did that and it's no longer what I wanted to create. I think I don't have, yeah. it wasn't like big number of people. It wasn't like, yeah. I want to run a big company. I want to really change. But it had, it provided that clarity of this is what I want next yes. in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. And I think a deeper understanding of what's important to me once I no longer had to prove something to myself. And that's an interesting – but I guess that's an interesting thing. A lot of people's lives are going, well, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for society or you're doing it for – that's kind of just what you do or that – is that right? Sort of you go through those journeys and then you get to that next phase of your life where you go, well, you can reflect and go, well – why am I doing the next thing? What's what's the reason yeah. behind all all of all of that? Do you know? I think that separates addiction from genuine purpose. Yeah. I think addiction to business, addiction to creating new, bigger things. I think is an addiction. I don't think it's a purpose. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think you know. There's plenty of people that sort of don't ever stop and well, to don't ever stop and connect with why. They're yep. doing something. Just becomes an addiction. I almost like I'm in this and I can't get out and I don't want to get out. And I think they're fueled by the things that come from creating something big and being important. But um, but I think if I was his example, right, let's say it's a reasonable goal to get to a few million dollars worth of money, yep. right? Which means you can buy as good a house as you might like. Yep. From there on, what fuels you to someone to want $20 million or $200 million or $2 billion. Mm. Um, I guess there's a few people that go, I can only impact the world the way I want to with $2 billion, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. If you connect that to a purpose. But very few. I suspect most people in that game are, are addicted mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's connected to purpose Yeah. Um, often. And I'd agree, yeah. Or maybe yeah, arrogant right. saying that. Yeah. Maybe who, who are you, you know, you've had one... But, but, but I, I wonder if it's actually, and I think... But to I, me, it's not. To me, yeah. I've got a bunch of, I'd like to live nicely because I spent 20 years bone-ass broken in debt, but my living nicely is pretty humble compared yeah. to other people. It's not humble. It's, you know, it's very privileged. But it's, um, I, my, my next from that is not 
I want a boat or I want to, it's, yeah. I want to do something good and meaningful in my lens. Yeah. So. No, 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 no I, I agree. I don't, but I, I look at, and I, obviously Australia's entrepreneur system, but I think it's, I might say that measure of what success means, and there's a benchmark that said, I, I look at like, listen to a few podcasts in the US and they'll go, you've got to be a unicorn. So Leslie, you can sell your business for a being, you go, yeah. wow, that's a, that's a, that's a fucking big kind of like target to be setting. And if you don't achieve that, you've failed. You go, wow, what that's does that, target, what does right? that, what does that actually create? But it's actually not about, it's not about purpose or succeeding at a personal level. It's actually about achieving what, 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 what has been said has been, a, a target. So I think it's, it takes a lot of confidence to go, oh, bugger that. We, that, that's, that's, that's the system's target or how society might define it. But individually, I'm going to set a different target. Is that, is that right? Or about what, what you want to, so that confidence that you've had about what you see as being success from your side has been sort of, you've, you've questioned that and you pulled that back a bit. Well, I definitely have. I think with Vino Mofo, I, I too had that. You know, I had a simple, the vision was a million mofos spending a thousand bucks each. Yeah. You know, and not under any condition. Like it had to be in the right way, but um, but that was it. That was the goal. That was yeah. um, but, and that was about. I think when you're in a consumer business or you create something that is about the number of people that interact with you and, and you reach with something, if you feel if you back what you've got to be useful to them, I think it can become a then a numbers mm. game if in that realm and especially if you raise capital and you do all that stuff, you kind of have an obligation to return. So I think the freedom with me that's come from, well, I get to start something new, to, yeah. you know. Um, so I have no excuses. I get to make every choice. Yeah. So it's up to, you know, so what... what if, and you're, you know, driving, you're driving the, chance, the bus, aren't you? There's a chance to go, well, what do I want? What is interesting and... So, so cult, cult, cult tribal. tribal yeah. So, what, so what's your sort of thinking around cult tribal? So, so a couple little bits and do you know it was. I pretty much went. What are the things that I really cared about most with Vino Mofo? And I guess they had formed into the things I would talk about with. I was giving you know as a speaker or whatever, right, or a workshop or a mentor. Um, and they sort of became you know um, purpose to culture. And building that into a brand that means something and that people feel something about and that they care about and that and therefore that you, you and this concept of um you know rather than business being about making something and selling being about growing a tribe and in fact uniting a tribe you know yeah. what I mean and, and I think they were the, that was sort of the thread that I cared about and felt strongly about the video first so I wanted to do something with that I wanted to not repeat all the other things that come with a business that are not to do with that. And so this idea of starting an agency that I thought was about that, I thought mm. I was creating a brand agency that was that was doing that. And I guess the other thing that I really felt was more and more difficult to uphold and have everyone buy into with a larger company was just this idea of always doing, uh, I'm going the phrase, doing things good, doing things right. And yes, they come to a moral compass for me, but essentially it's just about doing things right for um, the perspective of, of, of a customer mm -hmm. and an employee and a supplier. I just, I think I realise that it's always pretty fucking clear what the right thing to do is. Mm -hmm. And we, we try to blur it by going, well, no, because there are shareholders to consider and there's the profitability of the company mm -hmm. to consider and there's blah, blah, blah. But I don't buy into that. I think it either 
I think it pretty much comes down to the lens of there are some things that are ultimately right for the long term. Mm. And that ends up being the long-term relationship with the customer, the long-term relationship with the supplier, the long-term reputation of your company, the long-term, you know, rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. short-term, which is yeah. optimization, conversion That's optimization, right. yeah. big impact, often at the expense of long-term. Yeah. And so, it's about that virtuous life, isn't it, really? It about having that sort of, like, there's a life you look back and go, that was a virtuous life, it was, it was a positive. it's always clear with a bit of soul-searching what the right thing to do is in any given moment. So I think I wanted to really build that into this new this agency. So I wanted to, you know, w- help people, you know, connect with, bring purpose into their, connect with it and bring purpose into their brand and and grow tribes that were connected and cared and felt something. But by, and, and went about it by doing things the right way. So that was the rambles that I wrote actually from walking out of the board meeting <laughs> where I left Vinomo, my job at Vinomofo to the Airbnb that I was staying at. It was a 45-minute walk. And that was the conversation yeah. that sort of flooded. And so you sort of, cool. and it flooded through your head and you got back to your Airbnb and scribbled some notes down. Yeah, exactly. And that yeah. Started. But I think when I started working with my first clients, I came to realise that not really just a brand agency, although that's an important part of it, seemed to be, I'd have a conversation, right, and have a workshop. And I'd, out of it would come this new vision this company and I guess that was connected and from that vision would come a strategy and mentoring and I started mm-hmm. to realize that started to see that these founders were just kind of you know going through human stuff and fears and blah 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 and my role with them would often would very quickly be as important that I'll go hey it's all right I understand what you're mm-hmm. going through because I, I did the same but how about this and and that permission to be human came into it as well but really it became transformation on a bigger level like transformation of a vision into something a bit yeah. more beautiful not necessarily bigger but often i guess more interesting uh no more beautiful that's the word i started to see and then the the being a partner to bring that to life and yes it, it then involved connecting with purpose and mm. a brand but with that came a vision so i think that's i know it sounds a bit odd but that's the agency that I seem to have created. But I, I think I sat there and went, well, I want to work with brands, but really, do you know what I want to do? I want to have this gun team that have a great reputation for being able to genuinely transform things effectively. Mm. Um, and I... So, tra- so, so you're so taking an organisation and helping to transform it. Yes. So it's more about... For, the, 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 for the, good, the tribe right? and, and for good, for yeah, good yeah. It doesn't have to be that they're doing something for charity, but for good. But my my dream is to be able to go, and I thought this would be my next life after this, but I'm going to, I think it's going to be in this life of this agency. It's kind of like the A team of like, <laughs> you know, and it's actually interesting. It's a vision I had when I was uh, 19 at uni of starting this um, business that was like uh, – the Justice League for businesses that we would go in and we would help fix mm-hmm. businesses. And naive back then, but um, but I think that's what I wanted, not fix businesses, but take a cause or a, or, a, or, or a movement and have a reputation as being this gun team that can actually do it. So, you know, uh, whether it's like, right, whether, whether we're engaged by government or something or whether we initiate and collaborate something that needs to change mm. in the world on a big or a small scale mm. or something. And, you know, whether it's like, all right, this is bullshit. Let's just affect a complete 
transformation to renewable energy in Australia, for instance. So being the team that goes in mm. and links up the people, there are smarter people that yeah. have been more dedicated to it, but link it up and actually take it from being, take it to, to actual change. And I think that's what I'd like to do with this agency is, as you know, naive perhaps as that sounds, but that's the dream. So I feel like working with companies and brands at this stage on doing it is like practice yeah. for the big leagues, but I'm really enjoying it. Like it's exciting. And, and so far it's. But, and I think that uh, I, I wonder sometimes in, in, when I sort of see, I guess, consultants and I guess, I guess ourselves, we, we, we try to, but, but I think it, it takes a degree of comforting yourself and experience to be able to, when you, you, you're obviously looking to have a client and please your client, but you've got to be able to, the, the way you actually kind of build up your reputation is to be candid and real and tell them that sort of warts and all. And one thing we've, we've had from some of the, um, the interviews we've done is that whole idea of transformation. And there is a fundamental thing. There, there's, there's great textbooks, examples of businesses that are changing the world, but fundamentally at a government and corporate level, things are, not great. Like no, things, things aren't yeah. working well, and and the argument has come out of some of the discussions is the only way you fix it is almost to, which is hard when you get to be a big organisation, is almost to start from scratch and totally revolutionise that organisation because you can't suddenly go now we're going to be nice or no, we're going to be good, which is which yeah. is really kind of a complicated one because yeah, well how, how do you actually achieve that? I, and another point that's come up, and I kind of I'd love your sort of thoughts on it, is we've got an obsession with growth. In let's say co- corporate, um, in corporate businesses, the growth is good. Like we talked about the billion dollar yeah. business. Does growth get in the way of the fun and being real and being good? Um, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Is can you have a growth business that is also remaining human and connected to good? Do you know? I think you can. I think you can because I think um, ultimately people respond to that, right? Mm. And I think you can – I don't think you can absolutely optimise your growth in the short term that way, mm. but I think you can um, certainly uh, drive growth through doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I think there will be – you have to say no to a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? But ultimately, if you make a good product that people enjoy using mm. – like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm on the surface of depth of knowledge in this, but take Facebook, for example, mm. right? Um, I put it to you that the, the, the crossing the line privacy, no, I don't really give a shit about privacy, mm. so I'm not personally affected by this, but the world perception of them crossing the line mm. with the privacy issues, I put it to you they could have not crossed that line and still had the same amount of customers. Mm. It's not quite as much revenue. Not quite as much advertising optimization, right? Yep. Targeting optimization, but they still could have been a an obscenely successful and good company. Mm-hmm. We could still get back to that, yep. right? So I put it to you that that was driven by a bit of that addiction. Mm. How can we optimize this? Whereas they weren't thinking of optimization for. It's interesting. I was listening to a Seth Godin podcast, yep. um, and he was talking about gamification. Which is a bit optimization, right? When it's, but you know, kind of the short term, like finite versus infinite Mm. gamification, which is really just short term versus long term. Mm -hmm. I'd say they gamed their model for Mm. the short term rather than gamed it for the long term. And I think, um, I think that's the difference. And I think you can have growth. Do do you need to, I wonder sometimes whether you need to structure the business right from the start to 
be like that? I think you just almost need to put um, a, 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 like a saloon doorway you need to walk through with every business that has your values written on it. Yeah, and you yeah. go, no, no, no bullshit. Or even um, employ someone that, and, and empower them to be your mm. conscience. As in they, it's their job not to compromise on the values you've agreed to. Mm. It's their job, every decision has to go through them, whether it's head of culture or whatever. But they, they can't be, or, or maybe mm. it's a, Maybe it's a an independent board on the big decisions or something. I, I think that's what has to be, you know. Um, Almost like an ombudsman. Or be transparent. An ombudsman yeah, yeah. In, in an organisation. Or be yeah. transparent and let your customers yeah. be it if you're going to be really yeah. ballsy and open. But I wonder if – I, I kind of look at whether it's festivals or whether it's organisations or you see them suddenly grow and then they've got – They've got to hit a certain level. They've got. They've actually got to hit a certain level of revenue or whatever it might be to sustain it. To feed the beast. To feed the beast. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. That, that's exactly right. And I think, and we get investors, and you got to you got to please them, and or, or big banks. Big banks will talk about we're going to be good, but at the end of the day, big banks are actually about pleasing their, their shareholders. That, that's 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 the reality of a bank. They they that, need to be. Yeah, yeah, but I believe that has to change. So I believe. The but whole is that, does that require disruptors to come in? I, I wonder whether the banking sector can't become nice, I think the whole sort of all banks are bastards, I probably think that uh, uh, all of them are or a very large proportion of them. You need a disruptor to come in that that is a bank for good, but I don't know if a, a bank that exists now could become a bank for good. I put it to you that a listed company is going to find it hard because you bring in an agenda where mm. people have bought shares, the public have bought shares, and you to fairly large degree live and die by the value of your mm. shares and bought by people that aren't necessarily privy to the long-term mm. benefits of your strategy, right? So people who buy your shares, whether they're large institutional investors or mums and dads, panic mm. when something when share price drops, right? That's right. And that creates a really artificial agenda for a company trying to do something for the That's long-term right. good. Exactly. Um, and I think that is the structure that needs to change. Or companies need to um, sort of um, be really open about what and, you know, be really committed to a long-term mm. promise. And then... That's interesting. Yeah. And, and accept that... So that this is, is our this is our 10-year, 20-year vision we're going towards and we're not going to get lost along the way and change and our change direction. And our share price is going to drop or our blah, 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 blah and That's we're going right. to have to do this and change a lot of people in the organisation. Yeah. This is going to look bad, like it's going to look like our traditional perception of not success, but it's actually going to be mm. successful um, because we're going to affect change. That's it's right. It's going to be for this. Well, investors like and Warren Buffett talk about, so this is, yeah. we're in it for the long term, we're going to make this but commitment. If people want to get out, cool, yeah. but new people will get in yeah, 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 okay. on that journey and I think that's... But they're investing in the ethos of the business, yeah. Not to make a quick buck and 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 to and to move on. Yeah, from there. so have, I don't think it has to involve getting paid less. I, I got an interesting example with. Um, I don't mean this to be self-serving, but it's an interesting lesson I had with Cult Tribal when starting it. Right, so it was all when you're writing the manifesto and you're pumped off your forty-five minute walk mm-hmm. and your ideas are flowing and you're invincible and you're like ah oh, and you're energized. And everything feels great and it was really pure and I wrote the manifesto and it was very idealistic and it was great, right? And then cut to four weeks later, sitting down going, oh, I need to make quite a bit of money from this and I don't have any clients yet and I'm alone in my co-working space and I'm not bolstered <laughs> by the 120 people that I'm leading and I'm not, you know, I'm 
wow, what's my life going to be like? And you question yourself, is that right? You say you still question yourself. And normally my response would be um, bolster myself up. No, no, Andre, you're you're a good person. You're a smart person. You can do this. Shut aside your fear and march, like trample over your fears and, and on you go. And I didn't want to do that for some reason. I remember thinking... And it was because I'd been thinking so much about this concept of belonging and mm, connection. Mm. I just thought, you know what, Andre, you so often, I thought you fraud. You just, I'd just gotten off stage that morning mm. talking to 200 people about openness and vulnerability. <laughs> and don't trample over it again. Don't bolster yourself up. Don't bullshit. Why don't you try that? So I, I, I thought, all right, I'm just going to, that's going to be my blog. Cult Tribal, I'm going to share mm. these fears. And yeah. I wrote it as a stream of conscience and I put it out there and it's still terrifying to put it out there. But I was like, isn't that interesting, Andre? You had just finished writing the values of your agency, which is going to be openness, transparency, yeah. humanity, um, and honesty. And wow, now you're having to do it. So I kind of, I did that. And, and I had a bunch of people going good on you, but even more people going, oh, gosh, are you okay? So suddenly <laughs> perceiving this weakness, yeah. right? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm feeling a bit I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging my fears and acknowledging the, the investment that I had and, and how much I was built up upon, oh, you're the CEO of NMOFO. Um, I don't like the, acknowledging that, but I'm acknowledging it. But so there was this sense of, oh, gosh, poor Andre, he must be having some sort of breakdown. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. I was having a really nice moment of – I'm just going to be unafraid. Mm. And it was a bit of sort of float, a bit of flow, flowing. They're putting your, themselves in your shoes of going. Yes. And, 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 and I guess that empathy, really. They're, they're, Look, they're, was, they're, they're very, connected to you. It was and, empathy. Yeah. It was lovely. But it was if like, no one responded, you would have been more concerned. No, no. I'm sure. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. But I guess what I was doing, it was a decision to um, go all in on the yep. values that I said I was going to live in, mm. that I said I was going to hold the companies that I was going to work with accountable to. But I. It was what I realized is, gee, it's easy when you're preaching it, harder to live yeah. and, you know, live it in a really unsafe way. It's easy to live you've when you're the CEO of a $100 million company and talk about vulnerability in the past mm. and talk about failures in the past. It was a different experience to write about it and put it out there in a new vehicle that could well fail, yeah. <laughs> you know. But, but, but I... There's a, there's we do a lot of behaviour change work where we can help to drive I don't know social behaviours get people to quit stuff or do do better behaviours or, yeah. or sales I guess to a certain point but um, one of the big ones is to make a public kind of promise like if you make a public promise to your friends that you're going yes. to exercise more or quit and I think this is the same thing you're making a clear public promise and if and it's probably others you probably they, they probably care or don't care and but. I find the same thing myself. If I make a public promise on the social media, people are going, Jason, I don't actually don't care. But if I'm saying I'm going to commit to this over a 12-month period or every week I'm going to do this, I'll stick to it because yeah. you've made that personal promise. So if in three years' time you go, oh, stuff it, I'm going to just sell out to whatever, you'll feel bad. Is that right? Because that's, that's who you are I wanted as a to hold myself. definitely wanted to create a situation of accountability. So you don't want anyone to come back to you in a couple of years going, hey, Andre, you said this, and Correct. you go... Yeah. And, and that's definitely what I achieved. It was also a bit of probably the harder thing was to sort of go, I'm going to put myself out there that I'm going to share all the stuff that I don't know. Mm. And like I'll probably change my mind on things. And yet I'm creating an agency that's going to get booked because people go, oh, Andre, you have the answers. Mm. And I'm going to be starting this 
I'm going to be but I think it's a, but I going think it's on a really talking about like thing, going, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be sharing as much what I don't don't know what I'm doing. That's right. As what I do know what I'm doing, which was a bit odd. And I went, but I was like, well, that's the truth. So just again, it came down to overthinking, and the reasons why I perhaps shouldn't do that were all fear based yeah. and insecurity based, rather than no, no, I should do it because it's the right thing and it's actually what I'm feeling and that's honest. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. And do you know what was been really nice? All the clients, I've obviously got a bunch of clients that are because of the reputation of doing mm-hmm. this with being a mofo, but there's been a bunch of people that have gone, oh, man, I really relate to what you're saying. Um, tell me what you do because mm-hmm. I've got a company, blah, blah, blah. So I found that fascinating, which I is, again, it's what I'm preaching, right? I'm going, build your brand by what you stand for, not by your services. And it was an example of that. People are going, oh, I really like this, do things good that you're trying to stand for. Um, don't actually know what your services are, but I really admire mm. it. I've got a company that's such and such. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I really liked it. I was like, oh, isn't that a great way to but start I think you a have relationship? To, but I have, you have to, um, Steve Sammartino made a, in his interview, he said, well, if you, and he's obviously all, all about entrepreneurship, and he, he, he said, um, if you work for somebody else, you've got to stick to their values and you've got to almost align like a herd of cattle or whatever it might be. No offence to people who, who are working in that sort of situation, but if you run your own business, you just need to be really, really clear about what you stand for and see what sticks. Other people will be repelled and won't like it, but you kind of if you're not clear about what you stand for, like we write on a, a weekly blog and I'm sure some people look and roll their eyes and think, what the hell are you talking about, Jason? But I can. It's, it's our business. I can say what the heck we like and we know some people connect and some people don't. But hopefully they know what we stand for and that actually kind of works. And I think so, it, it, more so in your kind of situation of going being really, really clear. And it's actually kind of seems like a it's, – it's quite – I'd say it's kind of – I'm assuming it's quite not, – not necessarily in a religious sense but quite cathartic that once, you, once you've – if you just wrote it down and didn't share it, it's almost just for you. But if you write it and share it, it's there and it's, it's, like, and it's, it's real. Like it's that public promise again. It's in it, – to the water, That's going, right. I'm going to live it. It's just on that, um, I've always really been a big believer in you define yourself and what you stand for more by being, pre- more by what you're prepared to not uh, stand for. Yeah. And who you're prepared to let go of because of it and who you're not going to be relevant to. My, um, I went camping on the weekend to Deep Creek with uh, the kids and my daughter Lulu, she's 11. We were after dinner passing out um, chocolates, you know, yep. they were, they were little mini Snickers and Cherry Ripes and Ferrero Rochers were our mm-hmm. three choices, right? Chucking them around the tent because we were rained in and um, Lulu um, was like, she didn't like Cherry Ripes, right? And she was like, um, oh, I don't like Cherry Ripe and uh, my partner also doesn't. And, and Lulu was like, Cherry Ripe, yeah, I think they're one of those things that you either love or you hate. I'm like, yeah. She was like, and then I chucked her a Snickers. And she's like, everyone sort of loves Snickers, right? Everyone likes Snickers, she said, not loves. Everyone likes Snickers. And then she said, but I guess if you're just that thing that everybody likes, then nobody really loves you. Mm. And I went, oh, gee, there's a fucking brand lesson from a 11-year-old. Yeah, 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 yeah. The courage to go, no, no, not everyone's going to like this, but the people that do are going to love it. Mm. Whereas if we just compromised it a bit, then it wouldn't be so offensive and so more people would like it. Mm. But not as many people would love it. Now, I think that's always been a real driver for me, not just with brands, but I think that's the only way to stand for something mm. in life. But right? being really clear about what you stand yes. for. You don't need 
not all customers are equal. You need the yeah. right ones to yeah. stick with you, and then it makes your your world a lot easier if you if you're just in it to pay your bills and you want like banks yeah. need to open up to everybody because they need as many customers as they can. But but yeah. if you've got a purity about do. you, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. How how much you mentioned your children? How, how much did you um, did thinking about your children guide? Your path from here on. Did you think about was did that kind of come into play? I know, I know. I guess I'm putting into my situation. I go. There's times when I'll do things and I'll go. I want to live my life, so they see me as an example or whatever it might be. Did does, did that plan come into play, or was it very? I personal? think that came into play sort of ten years ago, very much. Yeah. The formation of Vinamofo and wanting to. Um, I guess again that was related. To I want to make something great as an example to them, but no, that probably came into more. Always wanted to teach them to try and be good people and nice people um, and courageous. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, to be honest, thought about this. It has been it has been a bit weird and sad in some ways. The kids had so much of their idea of dad was built into <laughs> dad and Vino Mofo. And that same sort of, oh, you're not the CEO of Vino Mofo anymore. What does and that you know, mean? go into that company. They they used to love going to the office, right? And they seeing other, mm-hmm. other people that they knew. That was really part of their lives. And and I think it's been a bit like, oh, dad doesn't do that anymore. And for a while they didn't ask me. My son actually asked me just the other day, so what is it you do with Cult Tribal Dad? <laughs> I tried to explain it to him. Um but I think um I think it's been hard where as well, my daughter said the other day, Oh, is it is it going to be a bit? Um, is it going to be a bit awkward if we go into Vino Mofo now, Dad? I was like so sad. I was like, no, sweetheart, no. We it's still our company. You, you walk right in. You'd be proud. Look, gosh, it's still your thing. Just because I'm not there anymore. But um, that made me sad. That triggered this thing of, oh God, am I smaller in my kids' eyes now? Because you know. But literally thinking about this right now, um, how extraordinary to to be able to. Over yeah, the next few years. Yeah, and, and but, it's better, but it might be better. Sort of, you're, you're taking that path that's that's your path that you're feeling strong and confident to do that. So it's it's showing them that that they can drive their own path, even if it is a bit awkward at times. It's interesting. I think um, I think because they're the age they are. I remember talking to them a lot about you know getting on quite on the front foot about the marriage equality thing. Both as as me and as on behalf of Vino Mofo, um, at that time I remember it quite clearly and had a lot of big conversations about it with my kids, right? Who've very much been raised that mm. you know sexuality is different. I remember my son was actually really disappointed the day he sort of figured that he wasn't gay. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful time we live in! Then that yeah, my son can be yeah. disappointed that he's just going oh, right. to be a bit ordinary and. I think I like girls, Dad. Yeah. With great disappointment. Well, we've got a nine-year-old, and she was having a funny conversation the other the other week about. Oh, well, I won't go into the whole conversation because it's got to be creepy, actually. But so who <laughs> she's going to have a baby with? But then she said, "Oh, can I can I marry a man?" And I said, "You can marry whoever you like, yeah. darling." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it is it's it's, it's a it's a open world of love and. You can... But I think I, I remember talking about that, and I, and I I think there was a bit of, but I don't think there was a connection of pride from my son that. Oh, dad and his company are taking this stance. Isn't that great? I think he was a bit young to, you know, it was just a, mm. a life philosophy. But I think how wonderful if I can help 
create some good changes or good things for them to go, oh, dad did this. It's probably for all my talks of, come on, kids, you've got to be bold. Not bold, be have courage to do the things or stand behind the things you want to stand mm-hmm. for. Um, don't bow to the difficulty or the challenges or the peer pressure that tells you to be ordinary or whatever or tells you to not stand mm-hmm. out against the tide or whatever. That's probably a far more interesting example to show them yeah, yeah, yeah. than the lessons. Yeah. Thanks for that. I haven't thought about that until uh, now. There we go. Will, there we go. That will drive point. me on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like, I guess sort of when you think about people like Seth Godin who talk about tribes and another kind of conversation around it, what, what do you think makes a good tribe of I guess it's kind of comes into different bits. We, we almost talk about it like sometimes, or I talk about it like a single point of relevance. So the, the chief executive and the team, and then it comes out to the customers and the broader market. It kind of creates that tribe. But what, what do you think? Whether it's from Seth or yourself, or I, what, what do you think builds a good tribe? I think uh, I think it's the core uh, thing is that um, use an example when I think you're in a tribe when you meet someone that also knows that brand or uses that product or has listens to that band or something. Mm. And when you, when you learn that you share that in common, you feel a connection and mm. an affinity, yep. even though you don't know each other. I think that is a definition of you're in a tribe, mm. whether you like it or not. So as in, yes, you have the connection with the leader of the tribe, which is the brand mm. or the artist or the whatever or the person that's leading the movement. Um, but you also feel connected with the people in the tribe. Yeah. And whatever that role, the roles are. I think that is the definition. Rather than, I think you're a bunch of customers if it's just a one, you know, the brand to you, brand mm. to you. If you meet someone else that is also, you don't really feel connected, mm. right? Whereas a tribe when you feel connected with each other. And I think, um, I think that you, I don't think anyone sits there and goes, Maybe there's a few people, but I don't sit there and I don't, like. Do you have a Samsung TV? Ah, uh, no, no, no. Well, if you did, yeah. I don't think I'd feel particularly connected with you because yeah, yeah. we both had yeah. a Samsung TV. Yeah, there's little traces of it still. If you have an Apple TV, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Apple, like, I think Apple devices Apple, still can have a bit of that. Someone goes, Apple "I've nailed it, it, but it's I've so got an Android," and you're going, "Oh, what you got an Android?" I, I definitely what, feel like, that. Yeah, um, like why would you not have an app, an iPhone? But I definitely think that twenty years ago and ten years ago, they were mm. they had that. Yeah. It's, I think a great example of what it feels like to have an Apple product rather than because yeah. they, they 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 did that right. They 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 stood for something right. They mm. they stood for the think differently. Misfits. I bought into it because I was bullied and didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they tapped into that message beautifully. Don't feel yeah. like you belong. I think yeah. I think you cars and cars and Coke sort of certainly had that sense up. We did some work a few years ago. We could make, make love, not war, and we talked about people, what people love, and their their life. And we talked about brands as well. And it sort of came out for not necessarily the younger people, but sort of twenty somethings and younger. But as a bit older, it kind of almost felt like they'd been brands had done the dirty on them. So you can't trust a brand because they are all about revenue. Ultimately, they're they're, they're about growth and they're about revenue, and it's it's just a brand. So there's not. Then there was there was less of a sense of loyalty. But then, if we we often will do work for say a family business or a privately owned business, and it's, we'll talk about almost like David and Goliath that you the, the, the Goliath that's a listed business can never be you. You should be really proud of what you've got because you can you can zig and zag and however you like, and you yeah. can be pure and and that that, that 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 cheese or that product that you make 
you make with your heart because you've been doing it for 50 years, a listed company can't actually do that. So I think there's this opportunity for challenger brands. And I'd say Vino was a, it's a cha- or is a challenger brand. It certainly was, but it certainly likely still is. Um, is that right? Is it, is it more like building that tribe? Is it, is it more from a challenger brand perspective or can you be a, a I think before you might have said a listed company can't really be a challenge, be a, a builder tribe. No, I think it, it can. can, but it would have to really stand for something. Mm. You know what I mean? It has, has to stand for something. And I think it absolutely can. I think, mm. um, you know, you've got big apparel companies that have managed to over like, consistently over generations stand for something. Mm-hmm. I think that's really well, Who would you say is a good example of a, a tribal brand that you look at and go, wow, that's, that's, that's a, well, you'd love to get them as a client or you, they're, they're, they're oh, a good, think, a good um, organization. I think a lot of shoe companies like Vans, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's a tribal brand. Yeah. So it's, um, I think Nike is, but so. So big. Big. Yeah. And, oh, no, not so big. I think so glossy. Like I think they've, um, I think there are examples of brands almost as big that have stayed a bit clearer. Mm. Although I've just bought Shoe Dog, the book written by the Nike founder, so yeah. I might feel reconnected with the yeah. brand. I guess I never connected with Nike personally, yeah, yeah. but um, but I might, I might feel connected after reading the story. So I'll leave that off. I think it just comes down to what you stand for. I think you can be... Um, you know, a very broad appeal something if you stand for something that's really clear and it's and people are connected on that thing yeah. and you haven't tried to water down what you stand for mm. to reach different segments, you know, I think that's when it goes wrong. But if you manage to have a product or a message that is universally of value um, and you stay true to that, I think you can. Yeah. Have, so the things that can potentially water it down. So watering it down could, are things like not having a clear vision of purpose. Is that right? So an investment that well, uh, isn't, so isn't right, guided right. Is that? Is that are those sort of things that? Why is Apple losing its shine? Not as a not in its profitability, not in its size, not in its value, right? Mm. But why is it losing its shine? It's because they've stopped launching products that are significantly wow. Mm. Right, they're just iterative things, and that mm. wasn't mm. their promise. Yep. Their promise that was in everything we do, we think differently, and they sort of established a pattern of here's something new, and it's fucking new, mm. and it's like mind-bogglingly mm. amazing. Yeah, and yet now there's just a little like now the camera's a bit better, the screen's a mm. bit bigger. Lost What's the a product, button. isn't it? Really, no, when, no, you, when you, you see the early product you see, features, oh. and so when's the last time they, you know? And so I think that's what's losing its. Therefore, because they nailed more than most other brands in the world in history, standing for something. Mm. I think when Steve Jobs came back, I think it was 97 when he came back to Apple and he launched, or part of his group launched very quickly, the Think Different campaign, um, which mentions the round piece and square holes, which our business came from. But um, I think that kind of almost was an ethos that created that business. That was the whole sort of point that sort of grew it. But then... But it's about, and this is that's what, so rare, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. It's so rare, but the, rare enough to create the concept. But then the real challenge comes in you need to shape everything about every experience within your business culture, customer experience, 
the human experience that you offer, mm. the, 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 the things you support and don't support, the, the things you do and don't do, the way you manufacture, the way mm. you market, the honesty in your message, it all has to support that. And anything that doesn't erodes it. And for a while, their product supported it, right? And Steve Jobs didn't make a promise to be a nice, inclusive, considerate human being. He didn't make that promise. He made a promise to think differently. And so I think he made a promise to have awesome that. products that were well-designed and... Yeah. And they did, and, and, and I think they still do, but not significantly. Yeah. So I do think that's, therefore, you know, therefore they are, I think, losing people's belief. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that won't sustain them for 50 years. Yeah. They, they've got a Well, they're hold. cashed up. I think they've got more money in the bank they than, do. than anyone else. So they've got a massive hold, right? But I still think that over, it's not they're going to get suddenly – they've got – Capital, they've got market, they've got all the things to sustain themselves for a long time. But that will erode. Oh, I agree. It's in- inevitable, really. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, unless no, they, they, they could tomorrow yeah. make a promise to get back to the thing differently and then shape their product decisions and their company decisions around that. And I think they'll buy themselves mm. another 50 years. Like, but I wonder if they're just so big that it, it just, just to change that ethos and get back to that purity they had is just too much to get back to is it i don't know I, I, that's what i yeah i don't know i, I just you just 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 seems like a heart once they get to that sort of size and magnitude and and history can they go backwards can they or does it take a different ceo to kind of go we're going to get back to the the purity of what we've got i think that's the decision i had a really interesting um insight into mercedes you know and found themselves three four five years ago in a in a bit of a a rut, they had become the conservative old man's vehicle and all of the other German car brands, certainly, and a bunch of other brands from around the world were positioned as sportier and for a younger audience and their audience was getting old and dying. Mm. And, um, and I remember giving, I was um, brought in to, they had like a, part, a global partners um, conference, travelling conference, roadshow, and I got brought in as a so-called innovative disruptor to, to, to give a talk to them all. And, um, and so I ended up, and they had their, some of their global chief executives on the roadshow with them, so sitting down with the most senior marketing people, um, mm. which was great to talk to them. And they talked about, this was off the back of, they had just done a brand transformation, repositioning, mm. and they were like, it's difficult. It's easy for you Andre, as a disruptor, to go, I'm not coming from anywhere. I have no history with this brand. We're going to come on in and stand for something new. Mm. Difficult if you've got customers mm. that like you for something to make a decision. And they were like, we had to get, and I learned a lot from this. They were like, we had to, we couldn't come up with something new. We had to come up with something true, but different. But so we had to go to our DNA. So we went back to in the story. Well, what is it, our DNA? Well, we made, we invented the fucking motor car, Right. Like, um, Karl-Heinz Benz yeah, yeah, yeah. invented the motor car. That's as disruptive and innovative as you can get mm. in history. People talk mm. about Henry Ford. He didn't make the motor car. Yeah. He just figured out how to mass produce it cheaply. We invented the motor car. Jesus, yeah. we went from horses to cars. Like, come on. And so they got back to that and they went, well, what is related to that? And they, you know, they zeroed in on the AMG brand. They went, that is... The sporty thing, mm. and they positioned that from a little peripheral brand to the core messaging brand, mm. and overnight transformed a global company. Mm. Mm. To, and I think it's one of the greatest 
brand transformation yeah, achievements. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they did it by going back to their DNA. And they well, yeah. this is in our DNA. And so therefore it was true. It wasn't we're going to suddenly make up a new mm-hmm. position and invest in that. I thought it was amazing. And I yeah, think that's yeah, yeah. the key for a big business. And they gave themselves permission to do that, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. And Chanel is a classic story from the 80s yeah. as well, found themselves being yeah. – and what they were doing, they were, they were reproducing clothes that, from the 40s and 30s, I think it was, or 50s. But um, they were still making the same clothes. But back then, those clothes were, mm. you know, um, avant-garde yeah. and, and cutting edge. They just hadn't changed. Yeah, yeah. But in their DNA was to be cutting edge fashion, yeah. so they carried That's that an interesting in the one. Because there's a couple of points of, uh, in some of the other interviews, but is that a whole concept of a burning deck? So if you you are bigger, there's a there's a burning deck that occurs to go. We've got to make a change here, and that's maybe getting back to your DNA of going. Let's let, let's say Apple gets to the point where their share price starts to plummet, and customers are going to somewhere else, and they go, we can't do this. I'm I'm, I'm assuming it come from the board going, we've lost something. What do we do? Let's get and and then and there's a burning so Tesla a burning deck. Brings out a phone, yeah, yeah, right? yep. Tesla brings out a phone and everyone's going, wow, Tesla's yeah, yeah, amazing. Right. And it's an amazing phone that does things even better and it's solar powered. Mm. Right? So it charges itself. Suddenly they just make yeah, it that's right. Like, yeah. Yeah, right. Suddenly you're like and, and it, they re- Tesla reinvents Bluetooth. Because everyone fucking hates Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work very well. Um it's crappy technology. That's right. Um then you, Apple's going to be going, oh, yeah, that's right. Because all the cool kids they, are going to be going to test. But they're forced to do that. There's that Bernie platform. At the moment, right. they're going, they're going well. They've got cash in the bank. They're sort of, they're working through. But someone actually no, goes no to. No one's doing anything particularly interesting. No, that's no right. One's, exactly. No one's raving about the Google phone. That's right. You know, so. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, 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 that's right. an interesting point. It doesn't necessarily need to be a, um, a, 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 um, a category disruptor. It could be a bigger group that. Is being disrupted and needs to quickly kind of change yeah. to be to remain to remain relevant. That, that, that's really interesting. Coming uh, coming back to I guess you would, we talked about you as a, a young person sort of starting out. What, what what is your sort of thinking for for younger people moving forward? They might be I don't know, awkward at school or, or or loving learning, but what, what what do you think sort of to have an interesting successful life? How, how do you how do you achieve that? With your wisdom that you've you've stumbled across through your life, so I think that you now there's more permission than ever to be yourself and and yeah. have that be okay and be supported and celebrated, um, and also it's more possible to create a life, a sustained life, um, doing something that you is truly connected with what you care about. Yeah. I think there are less parental and social pressures to get a safe job and join a company. And I th- in fact, I think more than at any other time, that is seen as less exciting and mm-hmm. as less something to celebrate. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... If you look through the ages, I think never has it been less celebrated to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no okay. offense, yeah. lawyers, but yeah. you know what I mean? So as far as that, unless your parents were lawyers and they were proud of the school they yeah. went to and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's not like one of those, oh, esteemed social, those, you know, That's right. big income. And it's harder to get a job too. You can't just finish law school and yeah. go and get a job. So I think, therefore, as a kid, you're walking into, in our environment, I can't just, um, mm. massively privileged white society. Let's mm-hmm. just put that rouse around society I perhaps understand yeah um I think it's I think 
it's more encouraged, supported, and celebrated to do that. And I think um, we probably still have human fears and insecurities that kick in around that that prevent that mm-hmm. because it takes a little bit of courage to do that. Yep. But I definitely think it's more. So so I think what why would go for it, Jesus? Yeah. It's, <laughs> o- it's okay to be different and back it's yourself. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, and to do that and question what your idea of success is yeah. in life. And I think we are certainly in a time when uh, there's going to, I don't know, your earlier comment about build a unicorn and that's definitely celebrated, but it's equally torn down if you build it in the wrong way, right? No one's sitting there going, those Uber founders, they're awesome guys mm. now, right? Because they, whether true or yeah, not, yeah. but were reportedly, they undid it through yeah. poor human behaviour. That's right. And there's I a huge amount of transparency, isn't there? Really? Yeah, so yeah, if you, yeah. If you, yeah, you're um, you you're not doing things right. You'll get discovered. It'd be like I call it the Rolf Harris syndrome. That sooner or later you get discovered. So, and for all the shit that's in the world, there's also more than ever accountability to to be good and do mm-hmm. things right. Right. So, yeah, I think I guess yeah. As so be good, as a kid. Be good. Be different. Yeah, d- d- like yeah. just be pure in your searching for what it is you might want to do. Yeah. And also just try stuff. You don't have to Like what? Like how, how do you kind of like, like if someone's going, I don't know, I don't know what door to choose or what direction to go down. What? Oh, okay. So here's an interesting thing. I think pick the space that you're passionate about, not the job within that space. Yep. I think you'll be more fulfilled by working in a, in a space, in a field, in an industry that you care about. Yep and feel connected with than the specific job. If you choose a job, I want to be an accountant or I want to be a, a, you know, a marketer or I want to be a, you know, whatever, a a programmer. Let's say you're a coder, right? Um, If you work in a company that is doing something that is uninspiring to you, you're still doing the job you wanted to do, but you have the soul sucked out. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are, if you pick an industry that you care about, doesn't really it matters less than what the job you're doing because you feel a part of it. That is something I think I believe. Yeah. No, that is something I know I believe. Yeah. Because very quickly it becomes what you're a part of, not the job you're doing within mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's good. What? The, what about the concept of what, what, people seem to be fearful of robots, but we should be more fearful of people being forced to act like robots. So do, do you need a, oh, like, does, like a, does a good tribe like need that. people that are actually not being forced to be robots? I really like that. I don't know how that ends up. And I, I, I because we're, we're getting to more of a risk-adverse society and there's procedures and protocols. And I think the procedure is the, the key to that. I definitely look culturally, not acting like robots is one thing, the roles, the jobs that keep a society functioning and moving mm. becomes a trickier one yeah. because are there the free-thinking, innovative, yeah. creative um, roles yeah. for everybody in society? No. No, yeah. Um, so what does that look like? Yeah. Do you have thoughts on sort of how, like how do, you, how do you kind of re- remain, you know, yeah, um, remain creative and clever and what, so what would you encourage, say, your children to go? Like, how do you kind of how do how do they kind of keep that free thinking imagination, which I, which robots can't replicate? That's not something that humans can do. How do you 
how do you do it? How do you kind of suggest your children do it or others do it? Questioning and independent thinking. Yeah. I think my kids, I get desperately afraid of how much they consume from YouTube, for instance, right? And how many conversations they spit at me that I know are from somebody, some other person on YouTube. Yeah. You know, it becomes a... They frame it as one of their philosophies in life. Yeah. And, I, and that makes me afraid. So I guess I just try to encourage questioning, interrogate things you hear. Yeah. Put it through your own lens. What do you think? Figure out what you want to stand for. Now, it's early days and I'm not panicking with them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. I think that is how. But don't accept. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah. accept. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Question everything. Yeah. Not, not to be a cynic, but to, to form your own uh, frame, framework. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Two questions to finish off. Yeah. Um, so cult tribal, how do they find you? Obviously you've got a website. You can oh. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's culttribal.com. It's pretty rudimentary at the moment, but it's just the um, but you will find me there. <clears throat> oh, you know, Jesus, Andre at culttribal.com or look yeah. me up across the seven or eight social platforms I'm trying <laughs> to get better at using. Yeah. And you're telling a good story, so it's sort of worthwhile sort of uh, logging in into that. So I think it's certainly been able to put your story out there. Clearly, I think it's an important one. I think it's great to, to, to do that. Just a thought that was sort of I, I was um, pondering uh, for a, so part of the interview that I kind of wanted to keep to the end. Yeah. Who would now? One of the things when I sort of see businesses starting out, you've got that beautiful moment to go, who are your clients and what's your perfect client? So you don't need to be client like we talked about. Not not all customers are equal. Who would be your perfect client? Do you know I had this exact. I did, did myself a marketing strategy and yep. I was, had this exact question that I asked myself. And it's interesting because I guess what I don't want is a client that has a brand that I love and aspire to or that has a community that are really passionate because they have done it. It's yep. working, yep. right? So I sort of – so I had to flip my thinking from who are the kind of clients. They're the kind of companies and brands and – tribes that I want to build my clients into. So I guess, do you know, my perfect client is a company with big reach and a, and a product that really is So they've essential. already got a big reach? So yeah, 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 really essential, but they don't stand for anything and they're not doing things the right way, but they want to. Mm-hmm. That's my perfect client. So, for instance, a bank. Ozpost, I actually wrote down, right? Because yeah. I know from my working dealings with Ozpost at a pretty senior level through Vinamofo, um, they want to get things right. They want to change. And at a senior level, I think the appetite is there. But a little more courage, mm. a little more vision, a little more, you know, it's just not saying they yeah. don't have vision, but I think that, that on, as a big client who will pay me lots of money, <laughs> is, is you know, but um, but probably my dream, what I would like to be engaged by, someone like, you know, Energy Australia or something that yeah. goes, all right, we know this is going to be hard, but we would like to be the company that commits one hundred percent to renewable energy. Yeah, you know, um, and we would like to be transparent about it, and we would blah blah blah. Or fucking BP or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a juicy client, right? That is. So like, we're going to help to solve a wrong in society that needs to be in. made right. Let's dive yep. in then. Let's do it. Yep. And, and, and that's that's probably dream client, but also uh, smaller. Like I've reconstructed what I want to, the work I want to do. Like one of one of 
uh, people that is going to be a client, we're just working on how to do it, is um, the Menzies Foundation. Mm. Now, 50-year-old, 40-year-old charity that is about um, young people and harnessing smart young people in certain fields and helping to, through um, train, not training, but, you know, I mean, through uh, connections and a program, um, position them to do great things in the mm-hmm. world, whether it's kids in science education, for instance. Now, that's a bit of a dream client because it's grabbing people when they're 17, 18, mm-hmm. 19, and helping them do great and un- uncompromising things mm-hmm. by um, igniting that. Like we talked about, you asked the question, how do you get like helping them dare to do something great and not compromise mm. and putting them into it, helping them find peers and connectors and feeders and um, possibilities to be able to mm. affect change. That's a dream client because that is impact, yeah, yeah. right, uh, for the future. Because people, organisations generally want to do good. It's just yeah. the other stuff like reality and whatever gets in the I'm way. Is okay. the, the more and more they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, one, seek, no one goes out to start a business. To no, be but bad. <laughs> people get afraid of the vote, right? Yep. And I think, I don't know, Malcolm Turnbull's my perfect example. I remember seeing Malcolm Turnbull speak about 12 years ago and I was inspired by mm-hmm. him. And then I just spent this whole time going, why are you such a broken man now? Why have you made not one decision that stands for anything in government? Mm. I think he just got beholden to not just the vote of the public but the vote of his party mm-hmm. and just he bowed to it or the unfortunate reality was if he tried to stand for something that he truly believed in, I believe he That's believed right. in, then he's out, mm. as we saw. You know, every time he tried to make a good decision about power, coal, yeah, yeah. good decision about any of those things that actually stood for something that I truly believe he as a man believed in, just got. I don't believe he was like fucking Abbott and various other people that just don't believe in this mm. shit. Um, I believe he believed in it, yeah. but he, he bowed down to it. I think that's what happens. And I think I would like to do work that doesn't bow yeah. down to that. that they're my dream. Yeah. But it almost kind of comes back to that kind of having, just to just finish off, but the um, society doesn't, it's is feeling un, like they can't trust their leaders, government and otherwise, but all they really want is strong leaders with yes. strong values and good in their it's minds. For, and stand behind and not, what they want to stand for no matter the cost. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and no matter if they, they lose some people. Mm. But to, I truly believe it that... It seems so simple, doesn't it? Down, but yeah. Look, I think, yeah, I think, I think this country is begging for someone to come along and stand for something. And I think what we'll find is that the conservative right population that we think holds all the power, I think they won't. Mm. I think they will in positions. But I think that the weight of people wanting to do the right thing will change that. Mm. That's an excellent spot to finish. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andre. Let's hope. Yeah, good job. All chat. the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. Hey, Jason here to say goodbye and thank you. I would love any thoughts or comments you might have on today's show. Message me via Twitter or your favourite social media at Jason Dunstone. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday same time emails on everything human-centred, customer focus, entrepreneurialism and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Squareholes team, and special guests who have included Steve Sammartino, Elaine Steed, and Liz Domenico. Please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list, where you can also find further information on each episode of Real People. 
please subscribe to Real People via iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. While you're there, please leave a review. If you would like to learn more about Square Holes, the agency I founded in 2004, go to squareholes.com. Square Holes conducts and publishes customised exploratory research on key markets and population segments. Our work ranges from studies in Australia, where we are based, and worldwide for brands to gain a reality check as to how they are perceived amongst staff, customers in the wider market, and critical paths to growth, and to robust studies as to why people have bad behaviours from health to road safety, environmental, money management, and drivers to nudge them in the right direction. For more information about Squareholes, squareholes.com or via social media such as LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Uru.